Welcome to Filmy Girls Idolcast. Hit it! song today was Growl by EXO, performed live on Inkigayo on August 18th, 2013. So if you listened to the last episode, episode 8, you know that by 2011-2012, America and the West were finally waking up to the fact that there was money to be made with this whole K-pop thing. On August 25th, 2011, the venerable American industry magazine Billboard even launched their K-pop Hot 100 chart, essentially lumbering into a market that they didn't understand and trying to turn it into something that they did. Billboard may have been able to compile a list of songs, but K-pop, in quotes, isn't a genre of music that can be tracked using the same metrics as American music genres like country or urban. K-pop is a completely different game, with a completely different set of rules. The Billboard chart was a flop. A skeletal Korean language version still exists, but the English language version of the K-pop Hot 100 stopped updating in 2014, leaving Taeyang's Eyes, Nose, Lips, Frozen in Time as the hottest K-pop song forever. Korea didn't need Billboard. They had already launched the Gaon charts the year before in 2010, with the full support and backing of the Ministry of Culture. Where Billboard saw K-pop through the lens of the American music industry, an incomprehensible jumble of foreign songs ranked by hotness according to some algorithm, the Gaon charts give a rounded look at the domestic Korean music industry, accompanying not just singles and albums, but breaking down music consumption even further into a wide variety of ways that people were consuming their content. For any given week, you can see which song was talked about the most online, who had the most YouTube plays and streams, who sold the most physical albums, and who sold the most digital content. For 2012, the year that we looked at in episode 8, Sai's Gangnam Style was number one, and the songs from Big Bang's album were just below it for pretty much every chart. These songs were truly hit songs across a wide cross-section of people. But then in 2013, we see something a little bit different. Over on the physical album sales chart, a brand new SM Entertainment group called XO captured six of the top ten spots, with our old friend G-Dragon at number eight with his fantastic solo album, Coup d'etat. But over on the streaming chart, XO only ranked number two with their single Growl, which was number 56 on the digital chart and didn't appear at all on the download chart. 
Instead, the digital chart was topped by Psy, the gentleman, and hip-hop duo Beichiki, a shower of tears. Here are the music consumption habits of the idol group fan, dragged out into the daylight. EXO didn't have a broad audience of casual fans each downloading a single song. They had a smaller, but deeper pool of very dedicated fans who bought physical CDs. The album chart is where you find my people, buying every single edition of our group's latest release so we can have all the dreamy photo sets, and so we can have a higher quality recording than what's available via streaming. As I've said on previous episodes, it is much more profitable for the artist and the artist production company to sell physical CDs than it is to tally up streams for fractions of a cent, or even to sell digital downloads. Most of the money you pay to a company like Spotify, if you even pay money to a company like Spotify, well, it stays with Spotify. Even today in 2019, CD sales still mean more money to the content creators than streams. So trust SM Entertainment's Lee Suman to be right there with a brilliant scheme to try and maximize both content and dip back in again with the pirating free-for-all that is the Chinese market. Meet 12-member EXO, who were formed by SM Entertainment in 2011 with the idea that they would have a Korean half, XOK, and a Chinese half, XOM. Each half would release the same content, but in their own languages. This way SM could send a group to China while still having the real group at home in Korea. No more lawsuits from members unhappy at being away from home, no more fan protests at Chinese members, and lots and lots of CD sales with a thrifty use of content. Double the pleasure, double the fun. But uh, spoiler alert, much like the original 12-member Super Junior, things with EXO didn't quite go according to plan. EXO's image starting out was sort of angsty and fantastical, combining the pin-perfect dancing of Super Junior with the wild landscapes of Big Bang's fantastic baby or monster. Weird enough to make an impact on the Western fans who couldn't get enough crazy K-pop, but also familiar enough to the fans who love that classic SMP musical style embodied by Super Junior and DBSK. The videos for debut single Mama had XOK and XOM dancing on a soundstage that looked like it was borrowed from Farscape or Doctor Who. And while the musical sound would change in the next few years, EXO leaned heavily into this visual imagery. Even the song titles are enough to give you a taste. Uh, growl, Wolf. And then there was Lightsaber, a 2015 promotional song for Star Wars The Force Awakens. I can't say for sure if Lee Suman deliberately intended the otherworldly EXO to tap into the obsessive online English language geek fandom community. 2011 was just before superhero movies were the only thing that Hollywood made anymore, but whether or not he meant to, that is exactly what happened. The 12 beautiful boys of EXO in their spooky cowls and tight trousers quickly found a worldwide audience among Tumblr fangirls ready and very willing to gift their dancing and homoerotic fanservice. So the next song I'm going to play is the Korean version of EXO's Mama, released April 8th, 2012. And it was written by Yoo Young Jin, the SM songwriter behind other classic SM songs like Super Junior's Don't Don. SK's Rising Sun. which I've discussed previously, and you can hear the similarities here, tying EXO to that SM style. The heavy metal flourishes, dramatic string line, and just the oversaturated nature of the backing track. And I know there's a stereotype 
of pop music for teen girls. That it's all sunshine and lollipops and rainbows. But that could not be more wrong. Plenty of teen girls also like pop music that is loud, angry, overdramatic, and perfect for singing into your hairbrush in front of the mirror while wrapped in a towel that uh, you're pretending is a dark and mysterious robe. I mean, not that I'm speaking from personal experience or anything, but you know, those teen girls like pop music too. So the repeating hook in the background, chanted as if by a sect of evil monks, goes like this. Careless, careless, shoot, anonymous, anonymous, heartless, mindless, no one who care about me. So yeah, there's no sunshine and lollipops here. heavy lifting vocal wise with the exception of a nice run or two by Dio which are done by Chen in the XOM version so listen for that and their fans were the first group to really figure out how to use online tools like YouTube and social media to unite a worldwide fan base but EXO was the first group truly born into and of this new social media sharing-based universe. For the 100 days before they debuted, SM Entertainment released tiny YouTube teasers designed to be shared around and picked apart to build interest, a promotional tactic that would become standard operating practice for new boy groups. And being part of that digital universe as a fan didn't just mean making GIFs and tweeting at the official accounts. It also involved voting. Now, chart shows were nothing new in Korea, or in the West, or in Japan, or anywhere else really. But it was around this time, 2012-2013, just after the Gone charts started gaining cultural relevance, that the format exploded on Korean television. Each show with a different method of calculating who would be crowned the winner that week. NBC's show Champion started in 2012, SBS's long-running Inkigayo added a chart element in 2013, Show Music Core added a chart in 2013. Suddenly, being a diligent fan didn't just mean buying all the versions of a new single when it came out and fighting for concert tickets. During a comeback, every day brought a new battle against other fandoms. Fans now needed to be online 24-7, casting votes for the music shows and streaming the songs on YouTube so that our beloved boys would triumph on Music Bank and Show Champion and, 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 and unlike a lot of other things in hardcore Korean Idol fandom, this was something international fans could actively participate in, whether or not they spoke Korean. Tapping into that obsessive nature 
feeding into that desire to prove that their group was the best, channeling fans' energy into something that would keep them engaged, and generating views on YouTube videos kept minimized in a corner of the screen. This is a huge milestone in the evolution of K-pop fandom. So as I discussed in the last episode, Big Bang fans were the first to send their group to the West with their organized voting. Uh, in that case, it was for the European Music Awards in 2011. For Big Bang and their team, it must have been like putting together the Apollo moon mission. They were venturing into completely new territory for Korean pop artists. Just doing the best they could with interviews and the red carpet with absolutely no guidance. Two years later, in 2013, the digital K-pop landscape had been completely transformed. K-pop had gone global with Gangnam Style, and for a not insignificant portion of EXO's fanbase, their competition wasn't other K-pop acts, or even the popular Japanese Johnny's and Associates groups. Their competition was a group from the West called One Direction. Five-member One Direction, now disbanded, was composed of four somewhat unwashed-looking English lads and one very charming Irish Muppet. They were assembled by mega entertainment mogul Simon Cowell back in 2010 at a time when the Western market was absolutely starved of boy band content. I talked about this a little bit in my very first episode, but boy bands are something that everybody in the Western entertainment industry seems to hate, and yet women and girls continue to love them. So cynical men like Simon Cowell keep trotting them out every few years, trying to soak up as much cash as they can before the boys burn out. So with One Direction, much like the K-pop fans honing their skills on the weekly chart shows, One Direction fans were also fully immersed in that online voting lifestyle thanks to the boys' roots on, yes, the voting competition show X Factor. It was Directioner's votes that first lit the fire under the group. And so the group already had a substantial online fanbase when they released their first single in 2011, a song called What Makes You Beautiful. A toe-tapping ditty about how the unnamed girl they're singing to shouldn't feel insecure about her looks because they need the approval of, quote, everyone in the room. Look, I'll lay my cards on the table. I really, really, really do not like One Direction. I find their lyrics misogynistic, and worse, their music and performances are just dull. Most of their tunes were C-grade material written by Simon Cowell's music industry buddies looking for a quick payday. And I think it's insulting how little effort the boys and their team put into actually entertaining and pleasing their fans. I live for cheesy women's pop culture, even the Western stuff. I loved Twilight, High School Musical, Justin Bieber. 1D should have been targeted directly at me, but I could never get past how these British bros seemed constantly embarrassed by their career and, unforgivably, embarrassed by their fans. And as an example of how much work I actually put into these episodes for the 10 people listening, I actually rented and watched the 2013 One Direction tour documentary movie directed by Morgan Supersize Me Spurlock. And right at the top of the film, Swishy Bangs Lewis says they didn't want to be a boy band who wore matching outfits and did choreography. We basically take the piss out of dance moves, he said with a smirk. I mean, not every idol group has to be amazing dancers. Big Bang certainly aren't. But when you take away all the hours in the rehearsal rooms practicing, dedication to the craft, when you take away the imaginative visuals, choreography, the costuming, the razzle-dazzle, what you're left with is five vocally talented teen boys standing around on stage in jeans and t-shirts singing, in One Direction's case, C-grade material. Yeah, great. Sounds thrilling. It was never gonna last. The situation really wasn't fair to the young men of One Direction, who do appear pretty uncomfortable throughout the film. And it wasn't fair to the fans, who were depicted throughout the film as sows at a trough. Anyways, in July of 2013, 
One Direction released one of my least favorite songs of all time, the super smarmy Best Song Ever, which was accompanied by a video that made fun of all the stuff that fans of boy groups find really enjoyable, matching outfits and choreography. And this is really unforgivable, 1D used a picture of K-pop boy group BAP to signal inauthenticity against One Direction's assumed authenticity of being a boy group who like didn't dance or wear cool costumes or like even like their fans or whatever. One D fans had completely internalized the anti-razzle-dazzle biases of their group and went all in against K-pop groups, calling them plastic, inauthentic, and much, much worse. Some of it outright racist. Western K-pop fans fought back, calling out One D for being greasy-looking assholes who couldn't dance. And it pained me to even have to bring this up because these fights are so tedious on both sides. But this added the extra venom to the voting for the 2013 Best Worldwide Artist at the European MTV Music Awards. So EXO fans battled furiously against Directioners and Believers who were in it as well. All three fan bases were whipping votes worldwide. But when the winner was announced, all three fandoms let out a collective, uh, who? The winner was not EXO, or Wendy, or even Justin Bieber. It was a singer named Chris Lee from China. So what exactly do these types of contests really matter? The leading conspiracy theory in EXO fandoms is that Chris Lee fans built a bot to trick Chinese EXO fans into voting for Chris Lee by making it look like they were voting for EXO. But who really knows what happened? Mainland China and the Chinese internet are still very opaque. K-pop has tried, and tried, to really crack it. Because China with its billion plus citizens has the potential to be an even bigger money maker than Japan. However, the tools that K-pop has used to crack the global market, things we looked at in episode 8 like YouTube, social media, streaming, digital downloads, these were not going to work in China, because Chinese fans don't have access to some of them. The Great Firewall cuts them off, and China could not care less about international copyright and the sanctity of Korean business contracts. Despite the initial burst of success, it was not going to be smooth sailing for EXO. And so here we are in 2013. On the boy group scene, SM Entertainment were raking in the cash from sexy and mysterious EXO. YG Entertainment were still making Big Bang from Big Bang. And JYP were just beginning to claw their way back into the game after their failed American adventure with a band called 2PM. <laughs> Now, 2PM is one of my favorite groups, and I played a track of theirs at the end of the last episode, but what I didn't mention is that 2PM had a ballad-focused brother group called, yeah, 2AM. Both 2PM and 2AM began life as part of the JYP trainee reality show called Hot Blood, much in the same vein as YG Entertainment show leading up to the launch of Big Bang. The Hot Blood trainees were split up into the Hip Hop and Dance Unit 2PM and the Ballad Unit 2AM. 2PM got personal attention from JYP himself, drama roles, and so on. 2AM were shunted off to the JYP associated label Cube under the management of Simon Hong, former president of JYP. The response to the first two singles, released about a year apart, was tepid to say the least. These were talented men, but they just weren't getting the attention, support, or material that they needed to really flourish. They struggled and struggled 
but the fans never gave up hope. transferred from Cube to another JYP-associated company. This one started by an old collaborator and songwriter of JYP's named Bang Shi-hyuk, who had written for Rain, The Wonder Girls, G.O.D., as well as for the showman himself. Bang Shi-hyuk's nickname was Hitman because of his nose for a hit, and he called his new company Big Hit Entertainment. 2AM's first album for Big Hit, the mostly Hitman-penned Saint O'Clock, released October 26, 2010, was their biggest success to date, getting to number two on the album chart in their first week, and ranking in the top album sold for both October and November. And single You Wouldn't Answer My Calls ranked in at number three for November 2010 on the digital chart. You Wouldn't Answer My Calls is a solid example of a Korean pop ballad. If you spend any amount of time watching romantic dramas, you will immediately recognize the sound. The long flowing melodies on the verses, the melancholy chord progression colored with jazz tensions, and the rounded tones of the singers. It's a really good song. Listen for yourself. <laughs> for 2AM was that global K-pop, export K-pop, had, and continues to have, no appetite for ballads. And certainly the export market did not have Korea's cultural love of a slow, melancholy, lyrics-heavy ballad meant to make the listener sigh and maybe tear up a little bit thinking about what might have been. The world was developing a taste for hip-hop-influenced, dance-heavy Korean idol pop, not for Korean music in general. This seems to have been a big topic of discussion in Korean music industry circles around this time, if the articles I've found are any indication. And Hitman was clearly paying attention to best practices. He'd played along with the ballad gimmick for JYP. But one of the best songs on 2AM Saint O'Clock was the bouncy Love You Hate You, also written by Hitman, and featuring one of Big Hit's own new trainees for the rap section, a kid named... Kim Namjoon, going by the stage name Bangtan Sonyeondang. New collabo, 2AM, Bangtan Sonyeondang. Let's go! H to the A to the T to the E. 어젯밤도 잠수 또 연락 없이. Don't wanna hate you. L to the O to the V to the E. 내 앞에서 내 곁도 사정 없이. Don't wanna love you.
love you, hate you was still ballady. But this was a ballad with a backbeat. Hitman saw the way that the winds were blowing, and while still providing content for JYP, he had also begun assembling his own boy group for his own company. As the lay of the land changed from 2010 through 2012 with the global success of Big Bang inside, the plan seemed to have morphed from something like a hip-hop version of Big Hit's own singing trio 8, his dancing and vocal group, to something closer to a traditional idol group. It would take a few years, but Hitman had learned from all the mistakes made by SM, YG, and JYP. He was going to assemble a boy group that would finally, finally, conquer America. Just like SM Entertainment had teased EXO for months on social media, Big Hit teased their new group, Bangtan Sonyandan, or Bulletproof Boy Scouts before finally launching them on June 12, 2013, with an angry, rebellious song called No More Dream. Big house, big cars, and big rings, but I don't have any big dreams. The lyrics and music are just as teenage as EXO's debut Mama the year before. But instead of the lyrical, fantastical imagery made possible by SM Entertainment's Deep Pockets, Bangtan Sonyandan's initial styling was more like if mm, a group of teen boys picked out what they thought was really cool. All black outfits, accented with gaudy gold chains, lots of eyeliner, lead dancer J-Hope in a do-rag, and group leader Rap Monster sporting an ill-advised perm flat top, sort of hairdo, and shades. They. Are. Awkward. When EXO debuted, they were pulling from a wealth of SM boy group best practices, and it shows. Right out of the gate, EXO appeared modern, polished, and professional on stage. Bangtan Sonyeondan, on the other hand, took things back to the roots of Korean boy groups. Remember episode 4 with HOT? You can draw a direct line from the angry teen drama of Warrior's Descendant to the angry teen drama of No More Dream. In fact, Bangtan Sonyeondan even covered the HOT classic a few months after their debut. Line member Suga is a black hole of barely contained frustration. Youngest member Jungkook, the golden maknae, just has these giant eyes transmitting absolute terror. They were the opposite of polished SM boy group EXO in every single way, including album sales. The hitman knew all about songwriting, but producing a boy group for the modern era was going to be a learning curve for Big Hit Entertainment. The next song I'm going to play is called If I Ruled the World from Bangtan Sonyeondan's second mini album, Oh, Are You Late Too? Which is spelled O exclamation point, letter R, letter U, letter L, number 8, number 2, question mark. Released September 11th, 2013. The backing track was written by producer Kang Ho Wan, aka P-Dog, with the raps written by the members themselves. 
It's a really good example of the early bangtan sound, which is rooted in P-Dog's love of 90s and early 2000s American hip-hop. P-Dog was, and is, a key member of Big Hit's staff. Uh, he wrote for 2AM, he wrote for Vocal Group 8, and here he is guesting on an early 8-track called Psy. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is P-Dog. 2007, yeah. Okay, introduce it. Anyone alive in 1997 could tell you exactly where the inspiration for this song came from. P-Dog's nickname was even taken from his love of American rapper Snoop Dogg. And you can hear the influence of that classic West Coast early 90s G-Funk sound in If I Ruled the World. Just to get it in your ear holes, here's a bit of classic G-Funk. Snoop Dogg presents Eastside's G-Dub. So take a listen, you've got that laid back groove, the synth hook, and that bass that just works its way into your bones, makes you bob your head like, yeah, yeah, yeah. West side, west side, going west of Compton to Seoul, Korea. I mean, okay, I really dig on this Hangukoro G-Funk, call it mm, H-Funk, but it is a very specific style and kind of retro sounding for 2013. It's understandable that Bangtan Sonyeondan, that their awkward name 
awkward stage presence, and each funk groove didn't exactly set the world on fire when they debuted. Moving into 2014, EXO faced their first big test as a group when EXO-M member Chris followed in the footsteps of his seniors and sued to get out of his contract, leaving the group just before they began their first concert tour. EXO-M member Luhan followed soon after. The reasons seemed to be a bit different from the overworked DBSK, and perhaps a little closer to the charges of former Super Junior member Han Geng, uh, getting second-class treatment because he wasn't Korean. The bottom line seems to be that Chris and then Luhan realized that they could be making a lot more money and have a lot more freedom if they just did activities in China on their own without the SM handcuffs. And just like that, EXO went from 12 to 10 members, and the original business plan of having two active subunits fell to the wayside. Their EP Overdose, released May 7, 2014, would be the last in this model, and it would be the last real release for almost a year, an eternity in boy group reckoning. And when they pop back up recharged and better than ever with 2015's Call Me Baby. This is the sound of EXO that we know and love today. This song is anchored by the dueling lead vocals of Chen and Dido, united finally on a single track, each forcing the other to up his game. The last line of the bridge leading into the chorus where the two voices blend together still gives me goosebumps. This song is so good. E, X, O, listen. Produced by New Jack Swing's own Teddy Riley, the infectious bubblegum delight of Call Me Baby is shots fired at the global market, and it paid off. EXO landed the top four spaces in the 2015 album chart. Call Me Baby ranked number seven in the top 10 digital download songs for the year, behind, of course, the songs from the Kings, Big Bang's Digital Comeback Made, and the number five and six album spots. Well, the awkwardly named Bangtan Sonindan had also finally figured things out. While EXO was navigating the breakup and reformation of their group in 2014, Bangtan Sonyandan were also trying to figure things out. They were shipped off to Long Beach, California to work with the OG of G-Funk, a guy named Warren G. Their California adventure was filmed for a reality show, which was called American Hustle Life. And what you see in that show is a group still trying to figure out a direction for themselves. The series is on YouTube with English subtitles, and though it can be cringy at times, it's still a fascinating look at seeing American hip-hop-influenced K-pop try to relate to the original thing. Bangtan Sonyandan struggles with the cultural differences. And they struggle with the artistic challenges, and they struggle with their own personalities. Their sound was still very much influenced by P Dog's love of G Funk at the time, but it was just not clicking with the general public or with the export market. A song like Blanket Kick, an album track on Dark and Wild, released August 19th, 2014, is a groove. Perfect H-funk. But it still sounds like a group of kids trying to perform to somebody else's tune. Bangtan Sonyandan member Suga has said that this period, around Dark and Wild, was the lowest they had ever been. That it felt like they were working themselves to the bone for nothing. Dark and Wild hit number two on the album charts the week it was released, behind Shiny member Taemin's solo album Ace.
Park and Wild disappeared. But then, as EXO were gearing up to explode back onto the scene with Call Me Baby, Bangtan, Sonia, and Dan were also hitting reset on their sound and image. The H-Funk was not working. They needed an update, a more modern style, a more modern sound. The Most Beautiful Moment in Life Part 1, released April 15th, 2015, sounded nothing like anything Bangtan had done before. From Suga's stark, desperate rap intro set to a looped sample of a basketball game. To the blazing power ballad, I need you. The song that got them their first very emotional win on a chart show. delicate outro, Love Is Not Over, that really highlighted baby member Jungkook's emotive vocals for the first time. <laughs> but the one that really popped for them was the absolute banger, titled Choro, or Dope. Bangtan themselves seem to have known that this was their rebirth, with Rap Monster starting things off with a line that translates to, Welcome! Is this your first time with Bangtan? And for a lot of people, you know, myself included, yeah, uh, it was. Chodal pushes relentlessly forward. No more laid-back grooves. The lyrics were a call to arms for Bangtan and their fans, trashing the haters who'd rejected them, repeatedly exploding into the chorus. Cause we got fire, higher, gotta make it, gotta make it. And yeah, the fire had been lit. Moments in Life Part 2 came out in November, the same year. They had something they'd never had before. Buzz. The lead single was another high-energy hype song called Run.
debuted at number one on the Melon streaming service and earned them yet another music show win. Bangtan, Sonyeondam were finally, finally starting to gather the kind of dedicated fanbase that drives online voting, album sales, the kind of dedicated fanbase they needed to survive in the industry. It had taken two years of very public floundering, some awful haircuts, a humbling trip to Long Beach, and a complete reinvention of their sound. But Bangtan, Sonyeondam were on their way to the top. The Most Beautiful Moment in Life Part 2 remains one of my favorite releases from the group, but I'll save it for another episode to tell you why. And as we see out 2015 in K-pop, I'll leave you with a track from Big Bang's Maid series. Because while EXO and Bangtan Sonyeondan were figuring things out, Big Bang waltzed back onto the scene after a three-year break and slayed everyone like they'd never been gone. They released four singles, two songs each, just about a month apart, and yeah, they just killed everybody. So this is uh, Bay Bay from the first volume, M, a sexy psychedelic slow jam accompanied by a video that features heavy Venus flytrap imagery and ends with Big Bang in oversaturated color dancing on the moon. It is glorious. And yeah, this is it for me. Talk to you next time. We have one more episode in this wild ride and then um, a hiatus for season two. So yeah, I'm really grateful for everyone that's um, stuck along with me this time. And yeah, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Don't you